Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Father, we thank you for your Word, that we can have it on our laps. Uh, That at this point, anyways, we're not worrying about somebody kicking in the doors and arresting us, as takes place in so many countries, where this word is illegal in so many countries. Father, we thank you for the freedoms we have that we can still carry it and we can study it and we can pray openly and sing openly. Father, help us not to become comfortable or complacent in our faith realizing that there are billions of people going to hell because their opinion of Jesus does not line up with the word of God. Father, we have neighbors, co-workers, family members that are going to hell. And you desire us to minister to them, to reach them, to speak the truth in love. So as we start this book, Father, we ask your blessings upon it, that we would receive what you'd have us to receive via the Holy Spirit individually, Maybe as a marital couple, maybe as our family, maybe corporately as a church, we're open to whatever your Holy Spirit would desire to do this morning. I pray for the gift of teaching, and Father, that you will be glorified as we open this letter. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. We're going to cover one verse this morning. I didn't look. I'll have to look up how long it took me last time. But we're going to cover one verse this morning. Verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. We'll talk about that later. Notice. Which God the Father gave to Jesus to show his servants. Things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel... To his servant John. You see, as we get into this wonderful letter of Revelation, I'd like to point out four viewpoints that believers have as far as interpretation of this letter. You see, the interpretation that a person holds on to says something about their overall viewpoint of the Word of God. And I want to say right up front that we as Calvary don't have a corner on the truth. Don't go down that road. I'm not accusing other churches of not being believers, none of that nonsense. But you will find that the interpretation that a person holds on to says something about their overall viewpoint of the Word of God. So the first viewpoint that we'll address is preterist. Preterist. Now I know some of you are going to be bored right away and you just want to jump right into Revelation where there's death and destruction. We've got to learn the bigger picture here, okay? This viewpoint believes that the prophecies in Revelation have already taken place, preterists. And there are two branches to this view. One is partial preterists, where most of Revelation took place around the events of 70 AD. Now, again, you might not think this is relevant, but it's very relevant to you. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you're church shopping. Nothing wrong with that. But you want to know, when you land at a church, what does that church believe about the whole Word of God? Not just one chapter or one book. Do they believe in the whole Word of God? Very, very important. 
They believe that Caesar Nero was the beast of Revelation 13 and that the seal, trumpet, and bold judgments were placed upon unfaithful Israel. That Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18 was actually Jerusalem. That chapter 19 describes the coming of Christ in 70 A.D. Partial preterists believe that chapters 20 through 22 are still going to take place. The other branch is what we would call full preterist viewpoints, and they believe that all of Revelation has already taken place. Now, there are a whole host of problems with this viewpoint, but to name just some really basic ones would be, if the prophecies of this letter have already taken place, where is the new heaven and the new earth? If the world is supposed to be getting better because Jesus has already returned, if believers are ruling and reigning right now on this earth, then somebody really needs to let the rest of the world know that because we are not getting more humane as a race. We are actually becoming more inhumane. And what we are doing as a society to preschoolers, very inhumane. And we'll be judged accordingly. You see, a lot of Christians want to write this letter off because they are afraid of its truth. That God is going to judge this world like never before. This is a very common view today and can be seen in churches that will only teach the first three chapters of Revelation and then close the book. So as you're church shopping, you want to be aware of that. The next view would be the historical view, and this view became popular during the 12th century. Scholars believe that Revelation covered the whole church age up to that point. But they didn't know what to do with all the symbols, especially with Israel becoming a nation once again. So this view didn't take off and last very long. The third view would be the spiritualist view. This view does not see the prophecies in Revelation as literal, but symbolic. Symbolic. It is a fight against good and evil, which has taken place since God created the world. The beast and the harlot are seen throughout history. The symbols found in this letter are not literal, but totally, totally symbolic. They take the amillennialist view, which states that there is no literal millennial reign of Christ. And if you're new to the faith or Christianity, millennial, thousand, thousand year reign of Christ upon this earth. They believe, though, that at a certain time Jesus will return to this earth and establish his final kingdom at that point forevermore. Now, there are more viewpoints, but again, I'm just touching on a few of the basics to show us the difference with the last viewpoint, which is what Calvary believes in. The final view would be called futuristic. This view believes that this letter is literal and holds symbols and that holds symbols that can literally be translated. This view goes back to the Old Testament prophecies and allows God's timetable, God's timetable, to have its rightful place. You see, for decades, for hundreds of years, people mocked the Bible because it said that it focused on Israel becoming a nation. They mocked and ridiculed the Bible. 
If you were a Christian and believed that this word was the word of God and that Israel was going to become a nation one day, you as a Christian would be mocked and ridiculed until when? May 14th, 1948. That's never happened in history. A nation has never been scattered and after 300 years been regathered. Never. Do your history. Never. God is the God of the Bible. And God said, my nation is my nation and it will become a nation again. And Jerusalem will become the capital June of 1967. And I believe that's when the prophetic time clock started to tick, where Jesus said, this generation shall not pass until my return. Do the math. Do the math. 2037 would be 70 years. 2037. Huh. Kind of interesting, isn't it? We're in 23, and they want a great reset. When? 2050? 2060? 2030. Huh. Kind of interesting how these numbers are maybe lining up a little bit. Maybe God has something going on. You see, this letter is not about our timetable. It's about God's timetable. And even though it took 1,400 years, once Jesus came to this earth, he fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies in a very short time span. You see, this view doesn't have to play scriptural gymnastics with the word, but takes the word on its face value and allows God to do what he said he would do. Purge the whole world of sin. Again, this is an uncomfortable view, but one that makes the most sense. We believe that there are still Old Testament prophecies that will be fulfilled right before as well as during what we call the Great Tribulation. That seven-year time span is the Great Tribulation. And you might have heard some pastors refer to just the last three and a half years as the Great Tribulation. You'll see why I refer to it all as the Great Tribulation. You'll see in the coming weeks. Revelation is filled with prophecies that will definitely take place upon this earth during that final seven-year time frame. Then that Jesus will return with his bride to church to rule and reign for 1,000 years upon this earth. That there will literally be the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. And again, we could go on and on about the futuristic viewpoint, but do that on your own study for time's sake. That was just a few. And again, I wanted to touch on those viewpoints so that when you leave this church, whether you're visiting or not, or searching for a church, that you're aware of what other churches are teaching. You see, here at Calvary, we believe that the whole Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, is the Word of God. And I'm not saying, again, that those who believe in other views than ours are not believers or any of that nonsense. I've got to make that perfectly clear. I have have the best man. I was the best man at my friend's wedding. We have very, he's Calvinist, very different viewpoints. We love each other. He's going to heaven. So, but it is important to know where a church stands on the scriptures before you place yourself under their teaching. That is very important for you. If a church doesn't believe in the majority of Revelation, then what other scriptures do they not believe in? And unfortunately, we're actually seeing that being played out drastically right now in our culture. Picking and choosing what scriptures we would like to believe in. Because the word of God makes us uncomfortable about our sin. So let's just pick and choose what we want to believe in so we won't be uncomfortable. We'll end up going to hell, but that's okay. Really? 
And pastors leading others to hell, and that's okay? Really? No, it's not okay. But we're seeing that in our culture. You see, prophecy will affect our lives. Prophecy, there's different numbers out there, but it's, it's somewhere between 25 and 30. I've heard 27, I've heard 29, I've heard 31. Um, so if you just want to think about prophecy makes up 25 to 30% of the Bible, 25 to 30% of the Bible, that's a lot. That's a lot. So prophecy is very, very important. We'll live more holy lives if we truly believe in prophecy. That there is judgment coming upon this world. That if we just get a Republican in there, everything will be okay. If you think that, you are not reading your Bible at all. No person, no political group is going to save this country from where we are heading. Only Jesus can save this country. And as we study prophecy, it should not cause us to go out and rack up the credit cards. Y2K. How many of you were alive for Y2K? Because I know some of you weren't. Was that insane or what? I actually had somebody call me and rebuke me as an assistant pastor. I wasn't a senior pastor, but rebuke me as an assistant pastor for not warning the flock that they should be stockpiling and prepping because at midnight, Arizona time, everything's going down. I don't know why it was just Arizona, but, you know, it's Arizona. We're not to stockpile guns and ammunition. We're not to dig in, flee to some isolated area so we can survive the coming disaster. No, prophecy shouldn't cause us to want to hide from our surroundings, but to help others realize that God's judgment is actually going to come upon this world. So you want to stockpile? Stockpile. But you better be ready to share. Because that's our faith. Being available for the unbeliever as well as the believer that we might lead them to Christ. See, churches that do not believe in the literal viewpoint will often say that the rapture and Christians that believe in the rapture are escapists. I hear this on a regular basis when this discussion does come up. People say, well, you know, I actually had this happen two weeks ago. Well, you know, the rapture is really only about 120 to 150 years old. And I just looked at them and I go, really? Because as far as I know, the scriptures are almost 2,000 years old. And the teaching is in the scriptures, so it's not new. But they went down that theory because that's what's being spread in the church. Well, that's a new doctrine. It's not a new doctrine. Let's look at Luke 21. Luke 21. 34 through 36. Here are some verses for those who think we're trying to escape the great tribulation. (laughs) Luke 21, the words of Jesus. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness. So those first two you might think, well, they don't apply to me. How about this third one? And cares of this life. That applies to every single one of us. What am I going to get focused on? What am I going to get focused on? I don't want to believe the tribulation. I don't want to believe that's coming. No, 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 no. I've had a happy, hunky-dory life, and it's got to go that way, and I've got to get my Social Security, and I've got to get my retirement home up north so that I can be a snowbird, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. No, 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 no. Huh. 
This is Jesus speaking, not the pastor here. This is Jesus. And that day come upon you unexpectedly. What day? The day of the rapture and the great tribulation. That's what Jesus is addressing in context. As you look at the context, Jesus is telling his disciples about the rapture and the great tribulation. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Not just on America. Not just on an isolated group. But upon the whole world. And if you don't think the Antichrist is alive. And that the pandemic that just took place was a trial run. Then you're not reading your Bible. You're not reading your Bible. The world bent the knee submitted, went overboard, shut everything down. I'm not going to bore you with numbers, but I just want to remind you because I had to remind somebody of this recently because they, they still had this mentality. And I'm not making light of people dying. People died of COVID. I understand that. So please don't take this like I'm making light of it. I'm not. But we got to bring the reality into the picture. There's 8 million people in Arizona. We have 16,000 beds in Arizona. Round that up to 20,000 beds. Make it easy for me and my math. If you would have filled every single bed in Arizona with a COVID patient, which we did not, nor were we close to doing that, that would have been one quarter of 1% of the population of Arizona. One quarter of 1%. We locked down this whole state. Fortunately, we weren't in California or New Mexico because for us it was, the governor said, it's a suggestion. You want to wear a mask, wear a mask. You want to get a shot, get a shot. You want to distance, distance yourself. It was suggested. Praise God. We need to use wisdom. If you're sick, don't come to church. We don't want you to share with the brethren. But also no reality. One quarter of 1%. And this was for the world. What does Jesus say in verse 36? Luke 21, 36. Watch therefore. So what are you and I supposed to be doing? Watching. We're to be looking for the signs. The birth pains. Well, you know, my great-grandmother said that. My grandmother said that. And my mom said, it ain't going to happen. It's coming. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape. Oh. (laughs) Okay. All these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. What makes me worthy? Jesus Christ. I'm a part of the church. He's going to take his bride out. We'll get into more of that. But just so that you have some scripture references that you can use with people when they say, oh, you're just an escapist. You say, yes, I am. I am. You want to go through the tribulation? Have fun. Have fun. And I did when I was a younger Christian. I wanted to go through it. I thought this would be so cool. Then I grew up (laughs) and kept reading the word of God. So, verse 1. Here we go. Revelation. The revelation. First thing to notice is that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ and not the revelations of Jesus Christ. And I don't want to make a big deal about this, but it is important to to mention. John 5.39 says, You search the scriptures for in them, the scriptures. So, they didn't have the New Testament, so Jesus is referencing the Old Testament scriptures, and not just a selected few, all of them, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, 
of the Messiah, the coming Messiah. Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. He was the Messiah. If the religious elite would have been studying their Old Testament with an open mind, just like you and I, if we study the scriptures with an open mind, we know that Jesus is coming soon, that the birth pains are getting closer and closer and closer and closer together. If Yellowstone goes like they're talking about it going, it's going to devastate a fourth of our country in a day. Devastate a fourth of our country, Mount St. Helens. San Andreas Fault? (laughs) There's another quarter. Just two minor events could wipe out half of the country. So the birth pains are getting closer and closer together. You see, the Old Testament scriptures foretold of a coming Messiah. The New Testament scriptures show and prove to the reader that Jesus was and is the Messiah or the Christ. Again, if you're new to the Bible, Messiah, Old Testament, Hebrew, Christ, New Testament, but they both mean the anointed one. Messiah, the anointed one, Christ, the anointed one. Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. The first time the Messiah came to this earth, he came as a humble servant, symbolized as a sacrificial lamb. The second time the Messiah comes to this earth, he'll be seen as a conquering Christ or a conquering king, symbolized as the Lion of Judah. And in this letter, Jesus is both the teacher and the lesson. He is the revealer and the revelation. As in the case of the scriptures, he is the focal point of this letter, the focal point. Notice that it came from God, as I mentioned earlier with the inflection of my voice voice and tone. It came from God to Jesus, from Jesus to an angel, and for most of the letter, from the angel to John. Now the word revelation, apocalypsis, is where we get our English word apocalypse. Apocalypse. And when we hear the word apocalypse, most people would probably think of destruction, devastation. A place that is going to become utterly destitute. And although that is a description of what is going to take place during the tribulation period, the word apocalypsis, as well as its Greek root word, is not intended for that use. The word revelation in the Greek means an uncovering, an uncovering, or an unveiling. An uncovering or an unveiling. You see, a good analogy for us to understand the word revelation is to think of a statue that has been under construction for many months. Then comes that day when the crowds gather at the public park. They know that there's going to be something underneath that tarp. There's something underneath that tarp. There's an unveiling that's going to take place. And when that unveiling takes place, then it's the, ooh, ah, it's the apocalypse. It's the unveiling. We can now see what was under the tarp. At an appointed time, the covering is removed and a revelation or apocalypse takes place and you now see the statue that was under the cloth. So when people say that this letter is too hard to understand, that we shouldn't read it or teach it, they've missed the simplicity of the opening statement. The Holy Spirit didn't inspire this letter to be written so that no one would understand it. He inspired his writing so that we'd be able to pull back the cloth, so to speak, and see Jesus, the righteous judge, 
the King of Kings, notice lowercase k, and the Lord of Lords, lowercase l. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So the revelation of Jesus Christ, which means that there are no additional revelations, very important. There are no additional revelations inspired or needed. I had two young men came to the front door yesterday, and I was out in the back setting up for the high school uh, event. And so I was a little hot and sweaty, and they came to the front door. My wife opened the door and opened the screen door, and they said, hi. And they got their little name tags on. We're from, and she goes, oh, oh, you want to talk to my husband. He's in the backyard, and he would love to talk with you. So I'm just minding my business, setting things up, and here come the boys. I'm like, hi, guys. How you doing? And we started to talk. I said, could we sit down? Let's sit down. And I went into the house and got my Bible. I think that was their first clue that there was going to be trouble. <laughs> and we just had a really good talk. I didn't demean them. I didn't insult them. I didn't you know, mock them, ridicule them, nothing. We just started talking about things. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? How long has Mormonism been around? And we just started opening up the scriptures. And there was one from Peru from Peru, one of them was from Peru, and one of them from New Hampshire, and the New Hampshire guy was kind of taking the lead, the Peru guy was kind of the trainee, or, or the, yeah, the trainee, trainee, and as I was talking, this guy's eyes were locked on me, and he wasn't putting me on, this guy over here, he was just, <laughs> and as I shared, God was planting seeds in this man's heart, young man's heart, and it's going to come back, it's not going to come back void. He understood what I was saying and that Mormonism does not stack up. And one of the things I said to the both of them, I go, here it is, God. Let me just get right down to it here. If you leave Mormonism, are you still saved? And of course, the New Hampshire guy goes, well, that's a really good question. I go, no, it's not. <laughs> or no, he didn't say a really good question. He said, well, that's a really hard question. I go, no, it's not. You know the answer. It's very simple. If you leave Mormonism, you're damned. They couldn't say anything. They both... Yeah, I know your doctrine. You see, if I leave Calvary Chapel and I go down to Viewpoint, Mountain View, they didn't know I was a pastor, praise God. But I go down to Mountain View, I'm still saved. Or if I want to go to Rock Point, I'm still saved. Or if I want to go to Hard Cry, I'm still saved. I can go across the country to a non-denominational church or maybe another denominational church. And you know what? I'm still saved because Jesus saved me. You can't say that. You know what? We got another appointment at 4 o'clock. <laughs> Okay, well, that's okay. You know, I just wanted to plant some seeds. Just wanted to plant some seeds. It's helpful as well as when people show up on our doorsteps with a further revelation of Jesus Christ. No, there's only one revelation. It's the book of Revelation. You see, everything that we need to know about Jesus is right here in the Word. And when a person or a religion starts to add additional revelations... They really cloud the issue of who Jesus is because Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. I mentioned that to them and they were kind of like, <laughs> yeah, 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 I know your doctrine. He's the spirit. Well, we're all spirit babies. <laughs> Come on, where's that in the Bible? Show me in the Bible. Well, yeah, you ain't going to find it. Sorry, you're not going to find it. And they will always end up contradicting that Jesus, the Jesus, 
that we find in Christianity, Bible-believing Christianity, because they now are saying Christians, and I reminded them of that. I said, you guys 30 years ago would never call yourselves Christians. Now you want to be a Christian. You know, it wasn't too many years ago that blacks were not allowed into your denomination because they were a cursed people. I mean, these kids, their hair was flying back. <laughs> we don't see that in the Bible, do we? God loves the world, 8 billion people plus. Don't tell me about your religion. I know about your religion. Contradicting the Jesus that we find in Christianity via the word of God. So this letter is not about the death and destruction that we will see in this letter. It is not about the Antichrist. It is not about the one world government, the one world monetary system, the one world religion. It's not about our spiritual enemy or even the new heavens and the new earth. Even though we will see and learn so many things in this letter, it all comes down to a letter that shows us what this life is really all about. Jesus. It is all about Jesus. You see, the Apostle John, who was inspired to write the letter of Revelation, gave us seven I am statements that Jesus gave to us to ponder his deity. And you only find these in John. So let's just look at them real quick. John 6, 35. You want to write them down or take a picture. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now you might be new to the faith. So what's the big deal about I am? When Moses was talking with God, And Moses asked God, well, I'm going to go, but who should I say sent me? God said, I am that I am sent you. In the Jewish mindset, which you want to filter the word through, that meant the eternal one because a religious Jew to this day will not utter the name of God. They will not allow it to go over their sinful lips. That's how they revere the name of God. So Jesus says, I am, I am, I am. And the religious Jews knew exactly what he was saying. He wasn't just saying, well, you know, I am a carpenter or I am a fisherman or I am an electrician. No, no, they knew exactly what he was saying. You're making yourself God. John 10, 7 through 9, then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and fa- out and find pasture. John 10:11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, I am, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven more. And then, and then the last one, John 15, 1. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. I encourage you to memorize that verse. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you're not going to get to heaven through a religious party, I mean through a religious affiliation, through a political party, 
through your good works, it isn't going to happen. Let's look at Acts chapter 4, 8 through 12. Acts chapter 4, 8 through 12. You see, the Holy Spirit inspired John to write these statements in his gospel to show us that this life comes down to what an individual is going to do with Jesus. I had a privilege of doing a memorial service yesterday. And I love doing memorial services. It's the end of tribulation. You have a captive audience. And the bottom line is, as I shared with you earlier, every single person in this room, believer and unbeliever, you already have an opinion about Jesus. You have an opinion. Ah, he was nobody. Fictional. That's an opinion. He's an angel. That's an opinion. He's a great prophet. That's an opinion. You have an opinion. Everyone has an opinion. Luke records in this for us in Acts 4, verse 8, Then Peter, notice, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit had already come in them on the night of the resurrection. The Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost. And now what's happening? Wait a minute. Peter's now filled with the Holy Spirit? Remember what Jesus said? Ask, seek, knock. We're to ask for more of the Holy Spirit. So as we go out into our mission field this week, we're to ask for more of the Holy Spirit on this Christ-rejecting nation that we might be able to minister to people who are lovingly and willingly going to hell. They don't want to hear from you. That's okay. Love them anyways. Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for the good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders. Peter's dressing the religious elite, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes. Who knows? Saul might have been in this very meeting. Which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor, very important, verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, whatever name you want to throw out there. Only the name of Jesus. You Christians are so narrow. Now that's because Jesus was very narrow. Remember John? That's why you want to memorize John fourteen six. So that when somebody accuses you of that, you just, instead of debating them, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, plant a verse in their mind, so that when they leave, the Holy Spirit has something to work with. Just don't give them your opinions, that's not a whole lot to work with. Give the Holy Spirit a verse in their mind, so that when they're walking away from you, what did they just say, John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Who do they think they are? No one comes, gets to heaven except through Jesus? (laughs) And they're mulling that over and mulling that over. The Holy Spirit is calling them, calling them, calling them. Back in Revelation, so we see to his servant John, very end of the verse there, to his servant John. You see, John was the brother of James. They were disciples of Jesus and were part of the inner core, Peter, James, and John. The Apostle James was martyred very early on in church history, but John lived to be a very old saint. Tradition holds that he was in his 80s, if not 90s, when he wrote this letter. We'll get more into this as we go on. 
will address the issue of the location of his writing revelation when we get to that verse, and that verse is in verse 9. But for now, John also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Gospel of John. And we, all, and we believe it's roughly in the early 90s, the original 90s, that John wrote these letters. He had a very close relationship with Jesus. We believe that it is John who referenced himself in the Gospel when he makes mention of the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, isn't that kind of weird? Why would you say that? Well, he was just giving his readers a clue of who was writing it. Because when Jesus was on the cross, do you remember who was there? There was one disciple there. His name was John. And Jesus from the cross asked John to take care of his mother. And Mary was then taken care of by John the Apostle. Very, very close relationship. Again, scholars attribute his writings to the time of the Roman Emperor Domitian, and he reigned from 81 to 96 AD. So some people will say, well, how did you come up with that number? Well, that's where history comes involved, cross-referencing outside of the Bible, and Domitian reigned from 81 to 96 AD. Again, we'll talk more in depth about the political rulers in a few verses. John 20 says this, 30 through 31, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, in this gospel that John was writing. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We do not need, as we leave that up there, we do not need any other revelations. And I shared this with these two young men yesterday. Because your revelation is a new revelation, and it's changing. It's changing. I have my Bible. This book has not changed. And we went to Peter and we went to other verses that confirmed what I just shared with them. So guys, read from Genesis to Revelation. This has not changed. When you come across Mormons, which is predominantly our area of, you know, our area here, we don't have a lot of Muslims, a few Jehovah Witnesses, majority are, are Mormons, make the most of the opportunity and lovingly let them know. Take them the word. Because that's what they asked me yesterday. Well, how do you know? I just opened the Bible and cross-referenced scriptures. Well, this is how I know. Peter references Paul's writings. He equated them with the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. So even Peter in the first century recognized that Paul was writing the Bible. You can't get out of that. So keep reading your Bible. John was saying, you know, I could write and write and write all the books in the world. Believing is the most important thing. Let's look at 1 John 5 as we get ready to wrap it up. All of verse 1. And don't worry, it'll go faster as time goes by. 1 John 5, 9 through 13. As you're turning there. The revelation of Jesus Christ, Revelation 1, 1, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So 1 John 5, 9. We have received the witness of men, the witness of God, if we receive. So if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has a witness in himself. 
He who does not believe, as the music team comes up, he who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Remember, the focus in Revelation is not so many other things that we're going to get to. The focus is what? Is who? Jesus. 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 And as we go out and witnessing, you don't have to talk about Joseph Smith. I didn't argue about Mormonism. I didn't talk about Joseph Smith. I just, taken, I just kept taking them back to Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? Well, who is Jesus? Well, who is Jesus? Stay focused on Jesus, guys, because that is what it's all about. Verse 11, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life because we're all entering eternal life, just so you all know, even as an unbeliever, you're going to enter eternal life. You're going to get a brand new body. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. It's in the scriptures. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. You don't have eternal life with God. You're going to have eternal life in hell. Verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe that in the the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Guys, no matter how bad it gets, could it get any worse? (laughs) We got 18 months left of this administration. 18 months What has happened in the previous months? It is faster and faster and faster and faster. 18 months. Pray. Pray. And keep your eyes on heaven. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Guys, we're called to believe in Jesus. I don't believe in a political party. I'm registered with a political party. I vote. Do all those things, but I'm not putting my trust in them. I'm keeping my trust in Jesus. I vote. I'll sign petitions. I'll do all those things. But at the end of the day, my trust is in Jesus. Because I'm going to give us all the exhortation that Gamaliel gave to the Sanhedrin when the Sanhedrin wanted to kill the disciples to do away with Christianity. Gamaliel who was the most, one of the most revered rabbis in all of Israel. To this day, he is one of the most revered rabbis in all of Israel. He said, let these men alone, lest we find ourselves fighting against God. Remember, Jesus is coming back right on time. Jesus said it will be as it was in the days of Lot. It will be as it was in the days of Noah. We should do everything that we can do legally. We should do all those things. But just don't fight God, guys. Don't fight God. Don't find yourself fighting God. God's got a timetable, and his son's coming back right on time, whether you want him to or not. Whether you're hoping in your retirement or not. Jesus is coming back. Be ready. Look up and be ready. Because it's all going to burn anyways. Father, we thank you and praise you for the hope, the living hope that we have. And Father, I'm, you know I'm planning for retirement. I'm, I'm doing all those things. But Father, if you want to take it away today, so what? Take it away. 
It's yours. You'll provide for us somehow. You'll take care of me. I want to stay focused on heaven. Because this is all going to burn. So, Father, help me through your Holy Spirit to keep that focused. For there are many things vying for my attention. And I know I pray for all of us this morning. There are many things vying for our attention. Keep us, Father, focused on eternity, on Jesus. Even as we go through this letter to to the churches and this letter of Revelation, it is all about your Son. Keep us focused on eternity, Father that we will not get off one degree, that we will not look to the right nor to the left, that we will not argue about religion, but we'll just keep taking people back to the focal point of your word. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What are you going to do with Jesus? If you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to come up after the service and let's pray and let us pray with you to receive Jesus as your Savior. Not going to get your information. Not going to get your bank account. We just want to pray with you to receive Jesus. If you need prayer for anything, come up. We'd love to pray with you. Father, we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.